Hello, I'm Gareth Law from the Scottish Sun. He's Paul Davis, and New Mains United's co-manager. This is Down the Divisions. This week's guest is Ed Ronian's director of football, Stuart Miller. We'll find out just how tough the coronavirus is making life for him and his club right now. There's an SPFL resolution on the table and potential league reconstruction too. We'll hear Stewart's views on that. Plus, after playing and coaching across all the divisions, including the juniors, we'll take a look back at his long and distinguished career. We'll also speak to Ruri Kogawa. He's the brains behind a new website allowing fans to donate the value of tickets for remaining games to their clubs. If you've got any comments, you can email us on downthedivisions at gmail.com or contact us through Facebook or Twitter. It's good to have you along again. We've had a great response so far with over 200 downloads for episode two, and we really appreciate all your support. But Paul, the first question on everybody's lips after last week, working at home with a wife. You're settling down now. Well, it's been cold the weekend, Gareth, so it's not been too bad, but... uh... We go again tomorrow, so uh, I'll update you on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, uh, good to have you along as well. Uh, how's, how's self-isolating been for you? Oh, the, the, the wife says it's a joy to have me in the house 24 hours a day, Gareth. Uh, <laughs> she's a very, very lucky girl. No, in all seriousness, probably very similar to Paul. If I survive to the end of this week, then, to be honest, I've done well. Uh, <laughs> uh, miss, missing the football, though, Stuart, yeah? Of course, Gareth. When, when you're so used to, not just so much on a Saturday, but even during the week, I've went from being kind of supersonic busy to, to absolutely nothing. I think I think we're all missing it. Occasionally during the season, you, you say to yourself, oh, I wouldn't mind a game being off on Saturday just to have a wee break for the weekend. But no, 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 no. That's four weekends now, I think. And no, it's terrible. Again, football is a hobby and it's something we all enjoy. But there's more serious, a serious situation going on here. And all joking aside, we've got to respect what we're getting told and the, the, the best statement I like is from people that I went to school with saying <laughs> their teacher told them that they would never be anything in their life. He says, now they're sitting in the sofa saving the world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that idea. So I think of all, you know, we're very respectful of the people that have passed away that have uh, contracted the illness and we shouldn't forget that. But you know, the football is a hobby, and when it's something you've been used to doing for so many years, then, of course, you're going to miss it. So before we hear more from Stuart, we'll start the, the podcast as usual with this week's Down the Divisions Decider. This week, we want to know which year did Stenhouse Muir win the Challenge Cup, Prince Charles and Princess Diana got divorced, Dory the Sheep was cloned, and the Spice Girls had their first hit, Wannabe. Now, Paul, if you can't get it from that. I was 11 years out last week, so uh, Stuart, you're our guest. I'll let you go first. Who was your favourite Spice Girl? Just out of... Sporty Spice, believe it or not, who is regarded probably as maybe the not most attractive one, but I don't know, something about Mel C. She was... <laughs> no, that's fine, Paul. That, that confirms my belief about you all those years. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stenhouse Muir won the Challenge Cup. Can uh, I come in there, Stuart? I actually went to see in concert when she had a solo career. Concert hall. No, you can't interrupt me, Paul, thanks. But, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't know if Gareth would actually mention about me being part of the Nolans fan club all no. those years ago. Oh, yes. Bearing in mind, the Nolans were the little mix of their day, uh, and I was fortunate enough to meet them. Uh, little Mix Nolans. No, I wish it'd been Little Mix, but it was in Nolans. Uh, I was on loan at Blackpool. I was on loan there for two months, and I got invited backstage to meet the Nolans because oh. they lived in Blackpool at the time. So that was a dream for me, to be honest. But anyway, listen, yeah. I, I think that's more important than Stenish Weir winning the Challenge Cup, to be fair. Uh, sorry, Gareth. I, I thought you were just buying yourself some time there, Stuart. Thank you. Well, I think he's got that yeah, Google one. Too well, Gareth. So thank you for that. Stenny won in the Challenge Cup, which was probably held at Broadwood, but I'm more likely to go for Diana and Charles get married in '82. I think it was the year of the World Cup. I would say it's about '92. I went to uni in '95, and Dolly the Sheep was cloned between me being at uni and me graduating. <laughs> So I'm in 95, so I'll go 97. Right, we'll reveal all at the end of the show. The repercussions of the coronavirus have again dominated Scottish football this week. But while we wait to find out how this season pans out, we must remember there are sadly so many lives being lost as well. Uh, last week saw the funeral of Franny McNeil. He was known as Mr Pollock and sadly passed away after catching the virus. He was just 70. During a long playing career as a centre-forward, Franny featured for the likes of Darkeith Thistle, Camelon, Peters Hill, Arthur Lee and, of course, Pollock. He then served for an incredible 27 years as the club's match secretary and also had spells as president and vice president. His presence at Newlands Field will be sorely missed. So, Stuart, just when you think you've seen everything, Scottish football never fails to surprise us. What's your take on the whole voting structure? And where does that leave your club, Airdrie? A nice, easy question to begin with, Paul. Eh? To be honest, as you can, both of you understand that, that as director of football at Airdrie, we are very much a member club of the, the SPFL. So I need to be careful what I say. and But what I can say as Stuart Miller, rather than my kind of official role, is that I don't envy the people in charge at the SPFL. I don't think any of us know the truth. We were all told that we had to vote by, obviously, the deadline on Friday. There's a couple of things that surprised me. The first one was I didn't quite understand why the SPFL released the figures the back of five o'clock, especially when three clubs had failed to vote yet. And I couldn't quite understand that, uh, especially when we at Airdrie, obviously, you know, it, it was a secret secret vote as such. What, what I've got to say, especially to the Airdrie fans, is that we would always do our best what's for Airdrieonians. But, and we've already proved that during the season, that everything we've done, the directors are custodians of the club and everything they've done is in the best interest of Airdrie Onions Football Club and that will continue to be the case. 
But at times you've got to look at the greater good of Scottish football. Uh, you don't want to be that particular club that stops Scottish football moving forward. So you have got to sacrifice at times. Uh, and I'm not saying that's what Airdrie did, but, but that's the mindset that for the greater good of Scottish football, you need to make decisions. For example, Airdrie are in the playoff positions. We at the club felt, and it would always be our first choice to get the games played. That's not going to happen, obviously, when there's no football till June the 10th. Our guys are out of contract between June the 9th and June the 12th although we've got nine players signed up for next season. So that, that wouldn't happen. But we have got to make decisions that are right. And we at Airdrie made what we consider, what we believe was the correct decision for Airdrie Onions Football Club and for the greater good of Scottish football. Bearing in mind, as I said, we were in the playoffs. We were due to play Falkirk, even though we felt we could still catch Wraith Rovers. But we were due to play Falkirk. We've lost a huge amount of revenue by not playing Falkirk in the playoffs. So that affects us. Obviously, there's no income at all at the club just now. You've got to weigh everything up. But the other thing that surprised me, and no disrespect, because I don't know uh, Scott Gardner at Inverness, but I've no idea why Inverness would choose to come on a radio station, a national radio station, the Sunday and basically go through the timeline of what another club was voting. With the greatest of respect, I know Jerry Britton very well, and Jerry is a top guy, very well qualified guy, very intelligent guy, and I'm sure Jerry's got his own thoughts about the situation, but he didn't have Jerry Britton coming on and giving what the views were of other clubs. So do you think, Stuart, then, that clubs should uh, find some kind of unity and sort this out together, or is it a case of just do your own thing and see what comes out the other end? I would rather there be unity, Paul. It's always the best way, I think, for an organisation to move forward. There needs to be unity. There is full of self-interest. I mean, I'm talking, you know, previous about Airdrie, how Airdrie would lose out the current situation because we are in the playoff position. Airdrie's only been in the playoff position once in the last six or seven years, so so we would be at a disadvantage right away. But there needs... To, I, I, I think looking at the bigger picture here, I would love every club to come together. There are very, very few clubs voted against it. I just feel, Paul, in the bigger picture, that we must have league reconstruction. I also don't think any club should be punished either. I don't think there should be relegation uh, because I think that's vastly unfair. And I think the way round about it is league reconstruction. From my understanding, it had to be done in stages. The first stage was to basically end the league, uh, all leagues. Their clubs would get their prize money. And I know there's been a debate about that. I don't know enough about it. As I said, we were told that that, that, that the prize money would be paid out if if, if this proposal had went through. Yes, I know there's talk of a kind of soft loan, uh, interest-free and blah, blah. I'm not not privy to the ins and outs of that. But my understanding is that if this proposal went through, then most definitely uh, the next discussion 
would be about the future of Scottish football, and that included league reconstruction. It's got to be, Paul. You know, yeah. everybody's fed up with the same format. We need to look at freshening it up. Even, you know, you know, we see earlier on that, that Kelty's been announced as champions of the Lowland League. Broad has already been announced as champions of the Highland League. You know, there's a lot of progressive clubs out with the SPFL set up, like Bonnyrigg, you know, like like Spartans, BSC, you know, Brora, for Martin, all, all these clubs that are desperate for an opportunity to get in the SPFL. I just think we've got a great opportunity with the circumstances that have happened this season to go and freshen things up. And I do believe that everybody, every club that you speak to, or well, we need to have league reconstruction. They all can't be wrong. What uh, what format would that league reconstruction be for you, Stuart? And especially when you've got a TV contract, I know it's at the top of the, the mm. tree, if you like, whereby that TV contract must guarantee that there must be four old firm games a season. It's just my personal preference for a 16-team Premier League. I've said the top four in the, the championship should get promoted. Therefore, there should be no relegation for Hearts. So I, I would have the 16-team Premier League. I would, the top four at present, the two Dundee teams, Inverness and Ayr, in my opinion, should be promoted. Uh, that would give, you're talking about TV companies uh, stipulating four old firm games a season, then that would allow you an Ayrshire derby. It would allow you to continue with the Lanarkshire derby that we've got, Motherwell-Hamilton. It would also allow you an Edinburgh Derby, Hibs Hearts. It would allow you a Highland Derby, Ross County v Inverness. There's so many permutations. Add in a Dundee Derby as well. You know, I, I think the TV, that would be a great sell for the TV companies having a 16-team Premier League. Yes, it's unfortunate for clubs like Dunfermline that are lying in fifth or Morton who were on a good run before the coronavirus come in to play. But... I know the 16-team league will not happen because it's too many clubs and the pot will then be divided between 16 rather than the 12. But if the 16-team league is too much, then I would go for a 14-team league. And I think, as I think it was Gordon Smith earlier on Sky, was speaking about uh, three leagues of 14. Certainly, if we can't get a 16-team Premier League, that would be my preference. But again, I'm only speaking for myself. It may not be the view, rather, of Airdrie's Football Club or other SPFL uh, clubs. Three leagues of 14, I know it wouldn't allow the likes of Kelty in or Broader Rangers in for this season, but I think it's been such an extraordinary season. I think if they can abide their time and promise them at least a playoff you know, game the following year. We, we need to we need to help clubs, you know, and but we need to obviously make sure that no clubs are at a disadvantage. Would would it be tough though on a team like Kelty, whose whose owner Dean McKenzie reckons he's pumped about half a million pounds into that squad this season to chase that dream? Uh, of course, of course, it's tough. But again, 
with the greatest respect, and I know Dean uh, well and, and admire what they've done at Kelty, and I think there would be a force in the SPFL if they come up, because I think they would continue to, to, uh, to put the finances into that club. They've got a lovely setup, and there's good people involved at the club, but Again, there's no guarantee that Kelty would have won the league either. You know, Bonnie Rig were were breathing down their necks. You know, I know BSC had a, a number of games in hand and probably would have come up short. But you know, Bonnie Rig might have something to say in that matter. And uh, you can't please everybody. You know, it's a very, as I said, extraordinary season that we're having, and there's going to be some clubs disappointed. And and, and I'm afraid Kelty at this present time would be one of them. That kind of leads me on because we've also put the pyramid system in place in Scotland and obviously with the decision being made just now, club number 42, which has got to be breaking, will probably be saved. Kelty and Brora, obviously they are going to miss out on the chance now of, of that game. Do you think from a or the SPFL point of view, they kind of disregarding the, the pyramid system a little bit or are you just putting that down to it being a freak year? No, I think it's a freak year that you're talking about, Paul, because I've seen a number of Lowland League games. In fact, we, Gareth is talking about Kelty, uh, we sold a player there earlier in, in the season, you know, to Kelty. So I know how ambitious they are as a club, because they wouldn't take kind of no, no for an answer when, when they were trying to sign our, our, our former player. So, no, I think the SPFL respect, and I think the, the, the Lowland League has been a huge success. I think Cove has proved how well they've done this season coming into the league and, and yeah. Cove would be a huge threat in the higher division when ultimately they get there, whether it's this season or next season or whatever. No, I don't think it's a lack of respect. I just think it's a freak season that you're talking about and I think their time will come as East Kilbride, you know, how well have East Kilbride done in the Lowland League as well uh, for a number of years? I know they've not done as well this season, but for a number of years, East Kilbride were getting beaten in the playoff game before they played the, the league club. So, no, I, I think there's huge, huge, huge respect uh, for the Lowland League. Just to finish off on the Lowland League, um, their announcement means Baylor Bleeding obviously won't go down, so they will be spared as well. Elsewhere, regarding the coronavirus, there has been signs of some good. Albion Rovers fan Jordan Campbell has started a Just Giving page for their supporters to donate to. He'd hoped to reach £5,000 and they've now smashed through the £10,000 mark already. But as much as there has been some good, Paul, there's been some sad goings on at Bells Hill this week. Absolutely terrible. Uh, I was actually speaking to Brian, the chairman, uh, over the last two days. Looks like it is an act of vandalism. And uh, the pavilion there got set on fire this week and terrible. The positive thing is they put again another GoFund page out trying to raise £8,000 and they've raised £5,594 at last look. I hope they get the target. I hope they'll uh, fix the ground up because it's a great club and the dealings I've had with the guys at Bells have been first class and I wish them all the best. Yeah, here, here. Uh, Bell Sill, when I was in the juniors, were very, very strong. Rab Snedden, who was very well known in junior circles, uh, he actually was my coach at Clyde 
uh, a number of years ago as well. Uh, Rab, Rab had a phenomenal time at Bell Sol. They were so successful. I, I know they're not quite at that level nowadays, but it's it's a shame, an absolute shame when when you hear things like that, especially what's going on in the world nowadays, and, and you've had to content with that as well. As we say, tonight's guest is Stuart Miller. He's director of football at Airdrieonians. Right now, there's probably never been a tougher period to be a director of football, Stuart. I know we've touched on aspects of what has gone on the last few weeks regarding voting, restructuring and so on. But can you tell us what it's been like to be overseeing a club during such a tough time when you've suddenly almost overnight seen all your income streams vanish? <laughs> Obviously, very, very difficult, Gareth, because on the Friday we were planning to go to play four for the next day up at Station Park, and then all of a sudden we get told that no, that that game and all football is suspended the next day. To be truthful, we still brought our players in for training. I don't think any of us suspected, uh, uh, had guessed how bad it was going to become. We actually had the players in again on the Monday training, and that was then, obviously, with the PFA and and what we were hearing from the governing body. Then we thought, oh, we better we better let them know not to come in for a week. <laughs> Sadly, that week is now about a month now, <laughs> which which is a shame. So young fit athletes have went for you know been at the peak of their fitness chasing dreams chasing aspirations of getting out of this division whether it was automatic promotion or whether it was through the playoffs and we just went to nothing you know now obviously the 10th of june we're told you know football suspended till then our players have got their contracts are up you know, between the 9th and the 12th of June. And so most of these players will never play for our club again, which seems very, very sad. As I said, I I can't reiterate too much about, you know, what's going on in the world and and unfortunately people losing their lives because of that. Uh, And as I said, I, I want to be totally respectful to that situation. You know, as football we play, as a hobby, but I, I don't want to kind of make light of, of obviously the, the going ons in the world. But but as as someone in my position, as I said, I mean even trying to plan for next season, very very difficult because we have no income coming in. What do you do? The players' contracts, as I said, is up the, the middle of June. Normally you'd be signing players, starting back training, and then you would have the bet Fred about the middle of July. But we've no idea when football will recommence. So you're in a situation just now where, what do we do? We can't sign players in June, obviously, because we can't afford to, to, to pay them. No club can when the when source of income just isn't there. So we might end up possibly getting a better standard of player than what we expected. But we also run the risk of losing certain players that we wanted to keep. One of our guys spoke to, to, to someone I know a couple of weeks ago and they said, thank God I signed a new contract. You know, so the nine players that we have under contract, that's guaranteed. You know, and that that, that the new contract start around about the 12th of June. So 
<laughs> Although we thought it was some forward planning, actually might end up costing us some money. Yeah. So very, very difficult time for them. Very difficult. It was great to see the Airdrie come out so quickly uh, and say that we've got to pay their staff and players uh, full last month. We saw last week Colin Cameron leave his role as assistant manager. Was that all part of the cost-cutting measures due to the coronavirus, Stuart? Thanks for highlighting that that all the players got and all the staff got got paid, Paul, in the the, the, the beginning of April, everything in March, even although we hadn't seen them for a few weeks. uh, That was the directors at the club had decided that was the proper thing to do. Absolutely. While we while we basically thought about the next stage, you know, uh, and, and it gives everybody a bit of time to to, to think what's the best way to, to adapt and, 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 and sort out this situation. Uh, Colin Cameron situation, again, I don't want to get into too much detail because someone sadly has lost their job on the back of it, but it's we had two full-time uh, managers basically, full-time manager and a full-time assistant. It was the club can't sustain that, quite obvious. But we did everything properly, you know, and and we certainly wish Colin the very very best of luck, and we hope it's you know not too long we see him again uh, in a dugout against us. But again, as I said, unfortunately it's the circumstances that all clubs are having to deal with just now, Paul. How, how dire is this situation or how dire could it become, Stuart? Bill, Bill Clark, the race chairman, said on the weekend that if the resolution from the SPFL doesn't get passed, that would mean potentially them not getting any income, going into administration in June and Ju- uh, or July, getting docked 15 points and ending up in League Two. What is it like f- where you're working at the minute? How How concerned are you with the actual situation and the potential repercussions going forward. I, I think I think everybody within football are concerned, Gareth. E- even even the top clubs, you know, will be concerned because it's all relative. You know, monthly salaries compared to how much money's in the bank just now. I think when you're not getting, you know, a source of income coming in, uh, and that'll certainly our last our last home match was March the seventh. So we, we've not had an income since then, obviously. If that continues into, obviously, July and August, then it, it's going to be very, very difficult times for all clubs, n- not just the likes of uh, Bill at Wraith. We, we're in a fortunate position, if I can say that, that we've got very, very supportive directors who, who are prepared to do their utmost for, for the club and the players in particular. Yes, it would be wrong for me to to, to highlight some of the, the situations that we've been prepared to do uh, and the cost cutting, which is not a nice word. But again, you know, you've got to cut your cloth accordingly and we've got to make sure that we're there, ready to play whenever we're asked, be it July, August, September, whatever it may be. Certainly, fear for these clubs. There's a number of clubs. Hopefully, Airdrie will not be one of those clubs. As I said, for all the the, the reasons that I've gave uh, gave earlier there. But I, I would be lying to you, and I wouldn't do that if I didn't say it was a concern. On the line now is Rory Kagawa, who is the founder of DonatorTicket.com. 
It's a way for fans to donate the equivalent of what they'd have paid to see the remaining games of their club season to their club. So far, it's raised Wraith nearly £5,000 alone. Thanks for joining us, Rory. Uh, can I ask you, first of all, what, what gave you the idea for this? So, yeah, to give you a background, I own a social media marketing business in the sports gambling industry. So when the news came out in the middle of March about the major sport and football being postponed indefinitely due to the coronavirus outbreak, that obviously freed up a lot of time for me. And so then that's when the idea came about. And initially, the idea was to try and think of a way to help my own club, Wraith Rovers. And so that's where, with given the fact that clubs rely so much on, on the gate receipts, I came up with the idea of donate a ticket where fans can donate the value of a match ticket for each of the remaining upcoming fixtures. And the difference between donate a ticket and other fundraising platforms available was just by making it custom to football matches. I, I brought in the leaderboard aspect, which means there's a leaderboard for each division and also a leaderboard for all clubs involved so that they can compete against each other and who can raise the most, which actually has done really well in encouraging fans to donate more money, thus raising more money for each club involved. What's the kind of feedback been like? I've seen a lot of a lot of it being talked about on social media, a lot of shares, a lot of clubs particularly, maybe more down the divisions than up, up the leagues. Yeah, so I mean, to, to be brutally honest, the, the initial idea was going to be for, after Wraith Rovers, was going to be just for the SPFL clubs and I've got a relationship with Wraith Rovers already. I've done a lot of fundraising work with them in the past. And so when I had the idea, I spoke to Warren Hawk, who's currently doing a, a bit of work with Wraith Rovers as well. And I thought he was the perfect person to help me get in the door with other clubs because of his relationship with other football teams. And so he opened a few doors with other clubs. But initially, I just launched with Wraith Rovers. And it was it was the day before the what would have been the Caramel Wafer Cup final, which was perfect timing. And Wraith raised over £1,000 within 24 hours. It then picked up and got uh, mentioned on Off the Ball on the Saturday the, the next day. And then from that, Glasgow City got in touch. And that was the first of me realising that there's a, there's a bigger world out there in Scotland in terms of the number of clubs you can get involved. And once Glasgow City got involved and a few other SPFL clubs, it was actually Berwick Rangers were the first Lowland League club to get in touch. And then once I had a few other Lowland League teams, the rest of the, the South of Scotland, the juniors and the um, East of Scotland teams got in touch as well. And they've they've been a big surprise for me. I mean, the, the amount of money they've raised is fantastic and, and everyone's very grateful for the, the platform. A good idea, Stuart? Obviously, a, a very successful idea, Rory. Uh, obviously... You've explained how it came about. You being a Wraith Rovers fan, I'll, I'll not hold that against you too much, to be honest. You know, uh, you, I would have thought you've enough problems without getting involved in something else. Uh, but no, but no, in all honesty, you know, congratulations on uh, what you've done. I first got made aware of this about a couple of weeks ago when an Airdrie fan got in touch with me and mm. asked me if I knew anything about it. I've got to be totally honest and say I knew nothing about it. Yeah. I did see your league table. I think the question, Rory, I would need to ask, how did the clubs then get the money? Well, that, no, that was a big, uh, That I mean, that was one of the main reasons why I got Warren involved, because, I mean, I know if someone turns up out of the blue in Scottish football and sets up a website that is handling money on behalf of football clubs, people are obviously going to be sceptical about it. And that's one of the other reasons I, got, I wanted Warren to open the doors for me, because there is that trust there. But... I've been very flexible with clubs and they've been great with me as well. There's two payment processors involved, there's PayPal and Stripe and and 
they both pretty much come instantly into my account once the the money's been donated to the clubs and then thereafter it's just a case of with each club I've just come up with an agreement of what suits them and what suited most clubs and it's been great for me is every Wednesday I'm sending the money to the clubs up up into up to the Monday before that that has been donated and so that works for them and that's actually it's better than just giving and go fund me those uh, their payment terms are sometimes a bit longer they hold the cash for longer so that's another way that's actually more beneficial to the clubs involved can I ask Rory obviously it's an obvious question what is in it for you other than helping obviously the club you support but you're obviously helping loads of other clubs that you have no connection with at all it, it might sound surprising, but there's nothing that's actually in it for me in particular. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've, I've enjoyed making connections with other people at football clubs and being involved, so to speak, with football at, at, at a level that I enjoy. But, I mean, it was initially to help Raith Rovers. I've done lots of other fundraising projects as a volunteer, which I put my own money into, and I've put my own money into this as well. But it is genuinely just to help the clubs, and it's more... It's a project for me to keep busy as well, given the fact that my job's gone quiet for the foreseeable future. So it's been great with that regard. I've been able to actually do something every day, have a purpose every day, rather than watching Netflix or whatever. You're certainly to be applauded for that, Rory. If if an Airdrie fan is is obviously listening, bearing in mind, I think we might be at a disadvantage because of the eight games left. I think we had three at home and five away. The home matches, I, I guess are the ones where they tend to make their donation more so than their way. Would that be correct? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, there's, there's a few things. I mean, so base, I've, I've noticed a lot about the way that um, users are, are using the website. And I looked and I've made, I've tried to make comparisons with the other platforms to try and see how this one can be better. And initially there was three ticket prices. There was adult, concession and child. But then once I soon realised that Just Giving and GoFundMe's kind of average donations are around about the £25 mark, is I changed the three options to super donation, adult and concession. And this adding the super donation has been incredible, actually, in the amount that's been donated, because a lot of fans are now opting for the £25 donation instead of a standard ticket price. And that's been great for clubs raising money. And it hasn't been as such about whether they're home or away. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great narrative for the clubs on social media to say whether they've got an upcoming derby game against whoever or they've got an away game and it's whether that fan would have travelled to that away game they can donate their ticket. But it has been really powerful. I mean, there's there's two Wraith Rovers fans have donated £500 in one donation. Um, and so that's obviously nothing to do with the ticket price, but it's just... They've took enough. hospitality. Uh, that's it, exactly. <laughs> Three booze. <laughs> But it's been great in that regard. Some people are treating it like ticket prices. Others are just using it as a donation platform. Because if if I can just add as well, I'm I'm not trying to do a sales pitch here to anyone listening, but donated tickets, transaction fees are also less than just giving and GoFundMe. So if any club is using donated tickets, they're actually making more money out of any donation. And on top of that, the leaderboard's encouraging people. And then finally, I'm doing email retargeting to everyone who's agreed to it on the website through their donations. So every Friday, I'm sending an email to everyone who's already donated, asking them to come back. And if they were going to go to an upcoming fixture that day, then they can come back and donate. And then on Friday alone, within that one email, in two hours, £500 extra have been donated onto the website across all the clubs. So the good thing about this is it's, it's a custom platform for football clubs unlike just giving and GoFundMe, which is a crowd a great crowdfunding tool but it's for absolutely everything and anything we right at the very start when the coronavirus broke out we were inundated with requests from fans asking how how they could help the club 
the club weren't really taking anything at that time, you know, because we were trying to do it properly, try and give ourselves time and say what's best, not, not just for the supporter, but what's best for the club in general. Yes, we're quite happy to accept any donation, obviously, you know, but we're obviously aware, Rory, just now that everybody's suffering. Joe Bloggs is suffering where he or she's getting furloughed and maybe the amount of money coming into a particular household is not as much as what it used to be. We set up Airdrie 1924. It was the Scottish Cup we won in 1924. So we set up a members club with that particular name. With that, they donate, you know, £20 a month. Uh, but that gives them so many different perks yeah. along with it. We felt that was the best way to go, that instead of just, oh, there's your money, they're actually getting something for their money. But certainly, you know, many congratulations on what you've done, uh, mm-hmm. not just for Wraith Rovers, but for a number of other clubs. And I appreciate that. Also, I mean, it's, it's a very valid point as well. That's one of the reasons that the idea came about is, I, I do find it a bit awkward sometimes with clubs just putting out a Just Given page or a, a GoFundMe page and, and almost bluntly just asking fans to put money into their coffers when a lot of fans have their own problems just now. So, I mean, that's where initiatives like what you've got at Airdrie are good, where fans are actually getting something back in return. And, and I think that's what more clubs should be aiming to do. If you're a fan out there, if there's a fan out there listening now and they want to, to go about donating to this, how do they go about it? Well, yeah, if you just visit donateaticket.com, there's about, I think there's 40 clubs live on it just now across all the divisions across uh, throughout the pyramid. You can easily navigate to your club, select your amount, and it's easy to finish the process. It's a great idea. Thanks uh, thanks for coming on, Rory. We, uh, we really appreciate it, and we wish you well. All right, well, this podcast is about down the divisions, and I think, Paul, if there's one man who can span... Almost all the leagues we cover, I think we found him on episode three. Uh, as a winger, Stuart Miller started out at local club Adrianians, where he scored on his debut at 17 years of age. He moved on to Dundee and Montrose, and then was Craig Brown's last ever signing for Clyde. There were also spells with Evagoras Paphos in Cyprus, Alloran Dumbarton, and then after that, he moved into the dugout in the juniors, where he won four promotions with Kaluk Rovers and Cumbernauld United. Then he linked up as assistant manager to Neil Watt at Stranra. They won what is now League Two in their first season, then were promoted to the Championship the following year. They worked together at Air, and Stewart has also had a couple of spells as Ross County's chief scout, was club scout under Craig Brown at Aberdeen. He's been West Brom's Scottish scout, then Barton's head of recruitment and Stranra's director of football before moving back to Adrianians a year ago. As we're talking about down the divisions in this podcast, Stuart. And maybe this question applies more to management than playing, but what has that kind of grounding down the divisions done for you over the years, do you think? And by down the divisions, I mean, it all started in the dugout for you in the juniors, didn't it? It, it did, Gareth. And I was very pleased and, and very honoured to start in the juniors. But my senior career had finished and basically I was wondering what to do next. And I applied for some junior jobs because I didn't feel as though I was qualified to, to get a senior job. There was maybe a lack of confidence there. I don't know, but uh, I certainly applied for a few junior jobs. And <laughs> Clara Kay at Kerluk Juniors was the foolish one that took a chance on me. 
I was absolutely thrilled when she asked me to come up and have a chat with her about taking on the manager's job. I was less thrilled when I realised they were bottom of the league (laughs) and had only won one game the whole season. Paul, obviously, coming from Carluke, knew all about Carluke. Clara well. Aye, and Clara. Clara was a character. She was an absolute gem of a lady. She was a retired school teacher that put all her money into Carluke. I decided to take the job against my better judgment. I went and watched them their final league game of the season. And she's on at the start collecting all the warm-up tops. And then she's making them juice at half time. It was basically the Clara Kay show. Uh, and, but an absolute gem of a lady. And I decided <laughs> that, oh, yes, I've made the right decision. I was thrilled to get the job, to be honest, but less thrilled when I seen what was available. I, th- I think you know the story, Gareth, when I first first went there with, with no money. Players were getting paid £5 a week. And by the way, they were overpaid at that. Uh, and I decided to strike an agreement with Mizuno. I went to Mizuno's reject factory in Cumbernauld and every player had a pair of screw-in Mizuno's and moulded boots Mizuno. That was a signing on fee. Problem was, because they were rejects, some of them were getting two left foot, <laughs> some <laughs> two right feet, <laughs> and some of them didn't realise until half the season was gone that they had that. Uh, but that enabled me to try and make the club a wee bit more professional. They were getting Mizuno boots, yes, uh, the stitching wasn't quite right at times on some of them, <laughs> uh, but on, on a number of them, they did just fine. So down the divisions, I'm very... Very pleased that I started at the juniors at Kirluk and we ended up getting a wee bit of success. We we got promoted in the three years I was there. Uh, We knocked Glen Afton under Alan Ruff out the West of Scotland Cup and we got to the, the, I think it was the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup and then success, to be honest, continued at Cumbernauld. But again, we were quite we were more wealthy at Cumbernauld under Ronnie Hunter and George Watson. They 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 were terrific for, for my career at Cumbernauld and we managed to get to the Super League and we had some terrific players there. So down the divisions very much starts at the juniors and that particular time getting to be Chief Scout at Ross County and getting to a Scottish Cup final and managing Clyde, I can assure you we're a million miles away at that time. You just got to come in there, Stuart, when, you, when you, you talk about Clara Kay. Clara actually passed away and uh, left a lot yeah. of money to, to Kaluk. Obviously, yeah. when you arrived at Kaluk, they, they played at the time at Lock Park Stadium, which, in terms of junior grounds at the time, would have been a fantastic uh, stadium for you to, to go along with. with the facilities good then? That, that, that was a selling point, Paul, to be honest, because we were absolutely rubbish, to be totally honest. <laughs> we inherited a team that was bottom of the lowest league in fact, no far away from where New Mains are just now. Thanks very you much. Know, thanks, thanks, but, thanks but, for touching but you've that. aspirations to get there. All uh, right, we'll, we'll see you next year. All right. <laughs> 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 I might apply for a job. <laughs> uh, but, but, but honestly, Paul, the attraction was 
the enthusiasm of of Clara, but 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 more importantly, the setup we had. It was a council, it was a council run pitch, obviously, yeah. but the facilities were really really good, even though the team weren't very good. And as I said, when you go to Cumbernauld, that just changes because all of a sudden, you know, it's you, you've got such an ambitious club that can back up with a wee bit of finances, although I had to generate some money or sell by selling certain players. And then Clara, uh, throughout the uh, a few years later, reported me to the junior association because I tapped up one of her players. <laughs> uh, she, she absolutely loved you when you were at Kirluk, but as soon as you left Kirluk, uh, she absolutely detested you, to be honest. <laughs> How, how much do you look back now? I remember you telling me, I think it was when you were at Stranra, that moving into the senior game, people would look at you and Neil Watt as an experience at that level. But the experience you had at, with management full stop meant that you could you, you knew what to do almost instantaneously because you'd you 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 had experience of you had a match experience, no matter what the level and 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 also maybe was it. I'm not going to say it was easier at Stranra than it was in the juniors. Possibly it was, but you know, there's an aspect of of having that knowledge that you've learned, and then you can put it in to a, a League One or League Two. The thing was, Gareth, you know, we when Neil went to Stranra, Neil was known as a rookie manager, and 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 I was a rookie assistant manager. They, they'd forgot that both of us were in the senior game for a number of years. Uh, but they also forgot that between the two of us, we had something like 700 games in management in the juniors. And I think regardless of what level you're at, I think the experience you gain and the game knowledge you have helps you so much when it comes to, to managing or coaching a team. So I, I think the people that were a wee bit naive about Neil and myself being at Stranraer, I think very quickly it was shown that, that to be fair, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, I think the biggest difference between the juniors and obviously the seniors was that, I mean, and Paul will be able to tell you this, the excuses. And, and, and I always, we always had good groups of players, but some of the excuses you get for no coming to training, you know, babysitting, <laughs> you know what I mean? The car broke down again, you know, a third time in a month. Coming on to that show, tell me your best one yet. Tell me your best excuse for not training. <laughs> I'll tell you mine. I'm trying to think what the best excuse. What the point I was getting at, Paul, is seeing the seniors. You don't have excuses don't have yeah. because they're getting paid and because they're getting yeah. paid reasonably well. I couldn't believe that the, the, the pay that they were getting compared to my last ever game for Dumbarton was at Stranra, and at Dumbarton I was in thirty pound a week. Yeah. You know, and when I went back to Stranra, I couldn't believe it when I get told. Oh, such and such isn't signing. Why is he no signing? Oh, he's been offered £300 a week by Stenhouse Muir. And he's what? Is this what's happening in football? You know what I mean? No, I, I, I think regarding excuses, 
we've had them all, Paul. We, we, you know that oh, missed the bus. You know what I mean. And and as I said, the babysitting one was certainly high up. You know, I need to babysit my wee sister, but somebody that never had a wee sister. You know, <laughs> so, so I, I think they get into the next door neighbour and say, "Can I babysit?" You know, so uh, all these kind of things. And the, the difference between the guys that are professional and the guys that really want to make it is during those winter nights. You know, trying to yeah. get training. At Cumbernauld, in fact, obviously at Kirlook as well, we were fortunate. The facilities we had were good facilities, but, you know, I do feel stop, sorry for clubs trying to get players during the winter, you know, especially, I mean, sometimes it can be, oh, I, we've got a slot on the AstroTurf. It's between 10 and 11 at night, you know, Aye. and things like that. It's getting harder as well, the training facilities definitely is. But the best excuse I've had is, or I've heard is, it's my engagement party on Saturday night and uh, I have to go and decorate the hall. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best one I've heard. Dear me. But, but the difficulty that it causes, Paul, is especially if it's a guy with ability, is should you play him on the Saturday or not? You know, and that's, you know, that's what crosses your mind. Do, do you sacrifice your principles and say, no, no, he's no playing. I would rather play somebody with less ability who's turned up all week and, and they've been committed. Or do you play somebody that you know is a good player that could get you that three points on a Saturday? That, that, I usually went, to be honest, with my principles and saying, sorry, you're no playing, you know, but... I've got to be honest and say if it was a, a promotion game near the end of a season and that, your principles did go out the window. I've got to be honest about that. I think from our point of view on, on a Saturday, it's uh, more a case of we'll have a squad of 20, but always seem to have 16 available. So it could be a guy that's not, <laughs> not trained for mm-hmm. three weeks, but at least he's even on the bench. you know. And I, and I always find that the, the squad rotation between people, people's commitment and you know, injuries and stuff like that. That's the hardest part. I'm hoping kind of when we move on now that things things might change yeah. a little bit. Oh, oh, and they always can make it on a Saturday. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Unless you've got a halt to decorate. <laughs> <laughs> would, it be, would it be fair to say that Strenra would have been the, the highlight for you in the dugout? Uh, most certainly. I think working with Neil Gareth and, and you you were about, that's when I first met you at that time, up in the Highlands, when you were there to cover, was it Inverness Clacknacudden? We were the playing the Scottish Cup and you turned up, honestly, man, an absolute embarrassment with a long leather jacket on, which you obviously had got out of a charity shop. Uh, and... and that was my first introduction to you, and I thought, who is this guy? And I obviously left my marks to it, because you remember I, it so clearly. I, I, I remember it so clearly because I thought, this boy will not last a week, so I better give him a story here or talk to him. <laughs> uh, it's good to know that you've risen to, to the heights, the dizzy heights that you're at at the sun. So I remember looking up to this guy and thinking, geez, oh, are you a basketball player? <laughs> uh, but but uh, no, he was very fair and, and that relationship has lasted obviously 15, 16 years, Gareth, now. So, but yeah, I would, I would think working with Neil was absolutely brilliant. His man management uh, was second to none and we complimented each other and to one back-to-back promotions was just terrific. Again, 
the expectation level wasn't particularly high at Stranraer, but for us to get to them to their highest, and it still continues to be the highest ever position in Scottish football, that was ninth in the Championship. Sadly, we lost out in a playoff to Partick 2006, but to, to, to win back-to-back to promotions, to be involved with Neil there, was an absolute joy. Not just that, the players we had, you know, selling Alan Jenkins and David Graham to Gretna, you know, and David Graham playing the Scottish Cup final, you know, things like that. Alex Keddy, uh, he went to Ross County from Stranra, who was my captain at Cumbernauld Juniors. So Keddy played in the Scottish Cup final in 2010. Michael Moore sold him for 50000 to St Johnston. Uh, Michael McGovern came in loan from Celtic and he was absolutely terrific for us when the regular goalie Andy McConaughey uh, got injured. You know, Stephen Swift, who's BSC manager now, was there. Stephen Aitken, who's had a good career in uh, management, was, was a central midfielder. Kevin Finlayson, Lee Sharp, who's assistant manager at <laughs> St Mirren. You know, Murray Henderson, Fraser Wright, who's obviously, you know, played in a Scottish Cup final for St Johnston. All these guys, you know, absolute gems. I mean, I'm rhyming them off and I didn't realise how many had went into coaching and how successful they've been. I mean, we had, had, when we won the league in 2003-04 season, we had 11 guys that had played 30 games or more that season that was just unbelievable I there was guys like I mean Brian Crawford who we know Paul uh, yes. Brian, Brian had uh, career Aye, aye. He's the career at, uh, I, I took same him same school to, as me ah well to be fair the remedial class <laughs> assumed, you know uh, but so uh, was Murray Henderson by the Murray Henderson Murray, well he was, I, Murray's he was more clever. intelligent than you and Brian right enough uh, <laughs> being an architect He's not as wealthy as you, right enough, that's the problem. But, you know, I took Brian to, to Curlook Juniors as a kid. Right. Ended up taking him to Cumbernauld and we sold him for £5,000 to Clyde. And he scored goals for Alan Maitland and Ronnie McDonald at Clyde. Terrific. I mean, so many fond memories, Gareth, uh, of, of Stranraer and the people of Stranraer. And we were delighted uh, to give them you know, a double promotion. I certainly hope for the Stranraer people that, that they achieve success. But, oh, absolutely magnificent, magnificent time then. I was speaking to Fraser Wright before uh, before BSC Glasgow's game against Hibs. I was asking him about the transition into the dugout. Who were the biggest influences on him? Now, this is a guy who's also worked under Tommy Wright. Won a Scottish Cup with Tommy Wright. He was signed by Jim Jeffries. He's worked with Mixu Patalainen. But he said the biggest influences on his career were Neil Watt and Stuart Miller. Now, what, I mean, and, and there's been various who have said this over the years. Stephen Swift, I spoke to him before that game too. And, and he said that what he liked about the way you and Neil worked was that it wasn't, it was about more than football. It was about more than training. It was about how's your family? These kind of things it was a personal touch and understanding was was that something you and Neil spoke about? Was that the way Neil managed it? Was that the way you managed it? Or did you learn some of that off Neil? I think I learned a lot off of Neil and I continue to, to learn a lot, lot off him to this day. But I think, Gareth, and that's nice, nice compliments from these these former players. 
And I, I think when you're when you're travelling to a place like Stranraer, I think that the man management, your people skills need to be so important. I mean, Paul will tell you nowadays, you know, it's not about being a coach. It's, it's having the people skills and dealing with people. We were very fortunate that Stranraer, like people like Fraser and Swifty and that, they were, they were hanging in every word you were saying, you know, and they listened to you. That long journey down to Stranraer, and especially back if you lose a game, we, we, we were fortunate. We went a year undefeated at Stranraer. And it was absolutely terrific. But we had good characters. I mean, Dexy Wingate and people like that, that we didn't need to coach the team. We just had to make sure. I mean, I remember Wingate coming down in the bus and uh, front of the bus and Neil saying, what, what's the mood today? What do you think? No, we're OK today, Gaffer. We'll be fine. Everybody's fine. And that, we knew we would win that day. Just Wingate put our minds at rest say, right, that's fine. But Neil, Neil's an exceptional individual, a, a gentleman. And, and maybe that wasn't obvious to me or, or that kind of kind of skill, but certainly I developed that throughout the years, I would like to think. And it's great that we've, we've individuals like Swifty and Wright and that speak so highly, even nowadays, you know, 15, 16, 17 years later. Stuart, how did you find the transition? Because you were number two, obviously, down at Stranraer. How did you find the transition into being number one again when you were up to Clyde? Obviously not very well, if you listen to the Clyde fans, Paul. <laughs> uh, I struggled, Paul, I must admit. It, it was a difficult time for me because our Craig had passed away the year before, in January in 2009, and I got appointed, I think it was end of April, May 2010, I, I really struggled. What I would say is Neil always let me have my opinion. And I remember Neil saying, we'll discuss it. And we discuss it. I was I was very respectful that, that the manager always must have the final decision. There can only be one person can have that decision. But Neil always felt if I put it across well enough and gave a reason, there's no point saying, oh, wouldn't he play him? You've got to back it up and give a reason why you wouldn't play somebody or, on the other hand, why you would play someone. Neil Neil was a good listener. He would need to be in the amount of times I went on about things. <laughs> uh, so I didn't have that at Clyde. When I went to Clyde, I wasn't even sure I wanted the job, Paul, I've got to be honest, because I'd been to the Scottish Cup final with Ross County in 2010. My appointment got delayed uh, officially because I'd been at the Scottish Cup final and I just wasn't sure. I didn't want to let Neil down. Neil had been appointed director of football at Clyde. He'd already asked me previous to become the manager and I'd said no, but I felt when he asked me again, I thought I better take it. I've got to be honest and say that it was only through our relationship, our friendship that I did take it. Also got the impression very quickly that I was Neil's appointment rather than the board's appointment because I felt when things started going wrong, I think they were looking at this rookie manager, regardless mm-hmm. of having 300 games in the juniors as a manager and, and another couple of hundred as an assistant. They seen me as a rookie manager. And to be fair, when things started going wrong, I, I think we'd went 11 games without a win. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think we drew four or five in that time. But 
I, I felt we had good players. It just so happened we didn't have players that were suited for the bottom league. Mm-hmm. You've got to remember that uh, North Lancashire Leisure, that, that, you know, that's when the debt was at its highest at Clyde and the club were really struggling financially. I felt I got no support you know, from the board. What they were unaware of, Paul, was that my wife was making sandwiches and making food for pre-match because we couldn't afford it. Yeah. Uh, to go to a restaurant and get your pasta in that before it. So Catherine was making food. Never, ever get paid for anything like that. But listen, when you're losing a Saturday, they're not really interested in about the sacrifices you've made. I felt if uh, possibly Neil was beside me in the dugout, which eventually they did agree to the last couple of games in my reign there. Uh, but by then it was too late. They had made up yeah. their mind that I wasn't good enough for them. And the 100 games or so I had for Clyde as a player, they were under John Clark when he succeeded Craig Brown. And that was played at Fir Hill after they left Shawfield. There was no connection to Broadwood whatsoever. You know, I, I yeah. was just another person. So I really, really struggled uh, with, with, with the transition, but I felt if I had stronger people round about me and a stronger board, then I felt I could have got through the problems. But listen, it wasn't to be. The, the, the way you're talking there about your, your wife making the sandwiches, when we actually done, when we set up the podcast, this is what it was all about because there's hundreds of volunteers out there on the Saturday and, and people think, Maybe just at junior clubs, at senior clubs as well, work behind the scenes that actually don't see what goes on. You know, Mo and Dad goes down and cuts the, the pitch and stuff like that of the juniors. And, and this is what it's all about. And it's the unsung heroes, isn't it? Exactly. Everybody needs to muck in, Paul. I think I remember that there was a couple of instances at Clyde. When I first took the job, they told me what the wage was. I still would have been the lowest paid in that division. Paul Martin at Albion Rovers maybe disagree with that, and he's maybe every right, you know. But, you know, it was a lowly paid job, and, you know, and I wasn't there to kind of make money from it. But I get told that, unfortunately, they would need to pay off the cleaning lady. Uh, or the cat lady, sorry. I took a, a cut again in my wages so that the cat lady could retain her job. People don't understand that, especially training facilities. I had no training facilities. I had to go and book a public park somewhere. I wasn't allowed to train on Broadwood. I remember one one night the guys went out and we started doing running around the, the ash track at the time, around the, the perimeter of the pitch. And here, a North Lanarkshire Leisure employee comes out. Oh, Stuart, you can't train. Why can I not train? I'm not on the park. No, no, you're not allowed on the ash either. I went, why is that? Oh, if you if you go on the ash, that means one of your lets for this season will be used up. So I, we couldn't play one of our league games at the end of that season because we were using the, the ash in the perimeter. It's Genuinely. Just, Honestly, Gareth, it was just so ridiculous. I understand that Clyde at the time owed money to the council, but that was taking it to some extreme. Mm. That. Give and take, isn't it? The disappointment for me was, though, when Jim Duffy replaced me, and Jim's an excellent guy and, and a, a very, very good manager, in my opinion. What? Where was Jim's first training session? On the On pitch. The yeah, I, I to say. Yeah. But before, before we come on here, I was talking to Gareth, and it's this is the first time I met you, Stuart, was through John McMaster when I just joined Hartlepool doing kind of first team recruitment there and we were out 
scouting every week and we'd bump into each other. And for me going into that and kind of my first job like that in senior football, you were a great help to me and a guy that I could always pick the phone up to and always remember you sending me reports and stuff like that. And <laughs> as I say, a fantastic help to me. That's nice, Paul. Thank you for that. I, I, I think, I mean, John McMaster's a lovely guy, obviously, and, and uh, had, had such a distinguished career. Uh, very, very unlucky not to win a Scotland cap. But I remember him telling me that he did get picked for a Scotland squad, but to pull out through injury. That's right. Uh, and never, ever get the opportunity again. But a good guy who's obviously been successful, you know, in his chosen career. But no, I, I think treat people how you would like to be treated, Paul, you know, that, you know, and, and, and always help. And, and I get great satisfaction out helping. <laughs> you, you can advise people. They don't need to necessarily take your advice, but you can advise them. So, no, that, that's very kind of you. I, I thought you were going to mention but the football writers dinner. I know you just was going to come out. I'm sleeping his trousers over there. We were at Gareth's table, and you looked really smart that night. You know, the only one in the hall with a tuxedo on. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, he carried it off very well. So, and he tells me this story every time I see him. <laughs> and Paul still blames me, claiming that I told him it was black tie. Uh, especially he'd been there the year before in his normal suit, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to say to you, do you miss the dugout? You're obviously now you're you're in the boardroom more than you are in a dugout. Do you, do you miss the kind of the being involved with with training? A match day, that kind of feeling of, of being having an effect on a match rather than being up in the up in the up in the stands. I think, to be totally honest, I think the Clyde experience scunnered me so much uh, that it that, that it put me off the dugout. I did have opportunities in the last ten years, certainly. To I think there was opportunities re, to return to Stranraer uh, in a coaching capacity, and there was one or two other ones. But did I miss it? I'd, I mean, I don't know how Paul goes about his business, but I don't miss the coaching side of it. The coaching is always to try and get to the Saturday. Uh, And Neil Watt and I didn't really coach. We just, the players with such good players and good characters that they actually coach themselves. The part-time idea of... You run on a Tuesday, you give them ball work on a Thursday and you're ready for the Saturday. I think nowadays guys are so fit, they go to the gym so many times, obviously when we're in normal circumstances, they're so fit that I certainly don't I don't miss the coaching side of it. Uh, yes, I get frustrated and our directors will tell you, anybody that's sitting next to me, that I get really frustrated on a Saturday uh, that I can't influence things on the touchline, but I've got to bite, bite my tongue. And when I took over uh, as director of football at Airdrie, I said to Ian Murray, I said, Ian, there's two things I'll not interfere with, and that's coaching and team selection. Uh, and I just feel I've, I've never, ever done that. Ian will ask my advice on a number of things, but the bottom line, Gareth, is no, I don't, I don't miss the dugout. I think the difference for me also, I'm a co-manager, so... Yes. I've got I've got Craig Gotwell with me and but Craig's still playing and is it I actually people will say to me oh how does that work who picks a team and all that I actually don't know at our level in these days how everybody doesn't have a co-manager honestly because as you say see between doing the training because he's he's 
he's still playing as well. So mm-hmm. I'll take the train on a Monday and a Wednesday. But you need to share the load. You really do. It's it's difficult. And back to what you're saying there, Stuart, it's about getting through that in the week and getting to the and getting to the game on a Saturday. But trying to be as I try and be as prepared and as detailed as I can. You know, to work out all the sessions. I try and make my sessions completely different. The problem is you can work with 14 and then you've got 12 on the night or you have it the other way. You think, right, put a, who's all going to turn up tonight to a session off for X amount and then you've got more people turning up. And that's that's a difficult side, but you need to share the load. I, I think you've also got to make it interesting as well, Paul, because the, the players have been out working their shift, you know, before they come to training. Yep. They don't want to come to training and get absolute hammered, you know, and run, run, run. Yeah. You know, you've got to vary it. You've got to make sure that you're not giving them the, the same things they got the previous weeks because they'll get bored. And players find out very quickly if somebody can coach or not. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to keep it interesting. You've got to retain that sense of humour as well. You know, and, and guys, certainly the committed ones will realise they've got to go through certain things, you know, to get out the other end. But I, I, I'm all for, I said earlier about Neil listening to what you had to say in that. I say ultimately it's one man that can make that decision. But it tends to be talking between yourselves that you'll get there eventually. You know, if your co-manager is still playing, then a lot of onus is on yourself at the side of the. On the side of the issue. You know, you've got to, you've got to think quickly. You've got to make the right decisions. You can't be hesitant. You've just got to make that snap judgment, and you've got to live or die by that judgment that you make. If you're too hesitant, you lose a goal right away. Or yep. somebody misses a chance or you were taken off. You've got to make the, those decisions. Listen, <laughs> sometimes you're damned if you do and you're damned if Absolutely. you don't. See, when you went in there, I think I'm right in thinking that Ian Murray was was already in position at that stage. What have you What have you seen in Ian Murray? How highly do you rate him? He's, he, he's obviously had a couple of clubs before Airdrie. was out in Norway, I think, before, uh, before coming back to Airdrie. He'd had that kind of difficult spell at St Mirren. Do you see a manager who's still young enough who can develop and, and go back up the leagues eventually or, or take Edry up the leagues? Before I took the job, Gareth, a load of directors of the club had offered me the job. Uh, I said to them, I'll not take it before I speak to Ian Murray. Uh, and I went and met Ian in Edinburgh and we had a chat. Uh, Ian being from Edinburgh means that I had to pay for the coffee. You know? <laughs> so, and, and I had a good chat with Ian. Ian explained to me that he was just back from Norway. You know, he was in Norway as an assistant manager before he, he got the Airdrie job and out the blue he'd applied for the Airdrie job and ended up getting it. He explained in Norway it's very much the coach, the manager does the coaching. It's the coaching. And he was absolutely thrilled at me doing basically all the donkey work. He just wanted to coach. It was quite obvious he wanted to coach. I felt after an initial meeting with Ian, I didn't know Ian particularly well. I'd, I'd known him to say hello to throughout the, the last number of years, but i seen a very humble guy with a great work ethic, a guy that you would never know that had played for Rangers, Norwich, Hibernian, who'd won six Scotland caps. This was a guy that you thought had played with a local amateur team. He never wanted to speak about uh, I'd spoke to him, I said, what, what about your Scotland caps? The sixth Scotland cap, a waste of time. <laughs> what do you mean a waste of time? 
you've won six Scotland Cup. Aye, but what, what did we achieve in the... I said, you won the Curran Cup. <laughs> Scotland's <laughs> last major honour. <laughs> I know, but... And, and, and I seen in a guy that, although he'd won half a dozen caps, that he wanted to actually achieve something. He wanted to play at a European Championships, a World Cup, and he felt that that wasn't good enough just to get six caps. I liked his attitude. If you look back on his career... Uh, and I'm talking about his management career, he was absolutely sensational at Dumbarton because he went into Dumbarton when Dumbarton needed snookers uh, to stay uh, in the championship, and he achieved that. I, I remember being at Ross County at the time and Derek Adams voting for Ian Murray as his manager of the year for what he'd achieved. I remember that. He took, I think, Dumbarton to sixth place, I think, in the championship, and don't get me wrong, someone we spoke about earlier, Stephen Aitken, went on to, in my opinion, to do very, very well in the back of what Ian had achieved at Dumbarton. And Stephen kept Dumbarton in the league for another two years, which which was magnificent for, for Stephen and Dumbarton. But Ian took the St. Byrne job, and as you say, Gareth, it didn't work out for him. And I think for a number of reasons. Uh, I think there was a lot of experienced players there. I think financially St Mirren were maybe struggling at the time it was before their takeover and I think Ian uh, struggled at probably the age of about 36 dealing with some of the possible experienced players there Uh, but I see an enthusiastic guy Uh, first and foremost I want him to do well for Airdrie I want him to achieve all his ambitions at Airdrie I would never stand in his way if he wanted to end up at his boyhood heroes who are Hibernian or, or something that, that some club that are bigger than Airdrie. You'd never stand in anybody's way. But I still think he's a lot to do at Airdrie. With, he finished fifth last season, just outside the playoffs. And this season, obviously, we're in third place. That's progress. And if we continue to make progress and we keep moving forward as a club, then we'll do all right. But no, no, I hope Ian's with us for for, for quite a, a while to come, as I said, because I believe he, he can reach his ambition at Airdrie instead of moving on anywhere else. Linked into what you were talking about there, the hybrid system that you've been using for your players over the last, how long now, 18 months maybe? No, it's it's just uh, been this season, guys. This season, how how has that worked? It's quite a new thing here. I think Ian was maybe talking about that's something they do in in Norway, I think as well. But have you found that has been quite advantageous, and and how successful and easy has it been to to operate? It's been a bit of a mixed bag, Gareth, to be totally honest. I think myself and the directors at the club had agreed that the best chance we had for promotion was through the hybrid. Financially, it would have been very, very difficult to have everybody full-time. We just basically couldn't afford it, not not in the gates that we get, although thankfully our gates are up by a few hundred this season, uh, so which we're delighted about. I wish they were up a few thousand, but as I said, certainly praise to, to the fans that are coming along, and we're delighted about that. But the hybrid, if you went completely full-time, which again wasn't a possibility, you would lose out on the good part-time players, the ones that have got good jobs, uh, the ones that are maybe sitting in an apprenticeship, or something, uh, maybe another year to go in college, whatever it may be, uh, you would lose out in them. So we felt, as I said, the director of the club felt the best way forward was a kind of a mixed bag, 
a hybrid. It ended up early on that Ian had probably eight or nine full-time players and we felt that he couldn't work enough on the full-time side of it because of only eight or nine. So we signed a number of younger boys. A, they didn't cost us as much money, but they also gave us numbers. Plus, they were playing in the reserves anyway. And we ended up with about 20 players full-time. So that that was quite an amount for Ian. Hence the reason we brought in Colin Cameron on a full-time basis as well, because Ian was struggling to cope with that many players. And part-time-wise, we probably had about seven or eight. As it turned out, checking all the stats on a Saturday, we probably ended up with about six full-time players and five part-time players in our starting 11. At times, that went to seven, eight. The most we ever had was... 10 in the one game. It was only the goalkeeper that was part-time. So was that an advantage to us? Probably. But again, we didn't want to lose out. Callum Gallagher scored 14 goals this season. Callum's got a good job or he's going through the final year. At college, you wouldn't have got him if you were completely full-time. You know, so that there's players like that. And Dale Carrick. Dale Carrick uh, works in the academy at Hearts. So Dale couldn't be full-time. Dale also scored 14 goals this season. So the balance, the blend has worked really well. Yes, we've made mistakes uh, more so early on, but thankfully we'll learn from our mistakes. We have you to next season, although obviously finances will dictate how we can kind of move forward in planning for next season. Have you seen a difference, Stuart, in the fitness levels by doing the hybrid? The honest answer to that, Paul, is... It's not so much a fitness level. It's it's set plays. It's a repetitory thing. Right. It, it, it's we we always feel that as I touched on earlier, players go to the gym. Players are reasonably fit anyway. And in, in my day, pre-season <laughs> or the close season used to last about six weeks. Now a close season for the professional players is probably about a week. And and they are very very fit. We, we feel. At our club, it's more practicing set plays, defending corners, corners for how you're setting up. We lost very few goals in the last 10 minutes of games. And it wasn't so much the fitness side of it. It was just we were probably better organised, you know. And, and that comes from your mind and your head being fresh, you know. So it, you can look at the, the, the physical side of things and, oh, this guy's getting tired because he's part-time and there's 20 minutes to go. We never really felt that this season. It was more, they're tuned in, they've did the defending the corners, they've did the defending the free kicks, you know, and they know what to expect, the full-time players, so they're switched on for that, more so than the actual physical side. I hope that makes no, sense, no, you know. Absolutely. Well, just to finish off the show, I know you've been waiting for this, Stuart. We'll give you the answer to this week's Down the Divisions decider. I can't be far away, Gareth, at 92, surely. 92. Just a quick recap. Just just a quick recap. Uh, We're looking for the year that Stenhouse Mule won the Challenge Cup, Prince Charles and Princess Diana got divorced, Dolly the Sheep was cloned, and the Spice Girls had their first hit wannabe. You were 92, Stuart. What were you, Paul? 97. It was 1996. 
Oh well, so aye. Well, apologise for being so far out there. Stuart, it's been great. Thanks very much for uh, coming on the show tonight. We really appreciate it, and obviously we wish uh, wish you and Edrionians and and the whole future of Scottish football with you know that Edri are gonna are gonna be playing in. We wish uh, we wish you all well. Thank you very much, Gareth. Thank you, Paul. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and I uh, wish you the very very best of luck. Don't forget, we'd love you to get in touch with your thoughts on the show. And if there's someone from the lower leagues who you feel should be highlighted, then let us know too. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com or contact us through Twitter or Facebook. Do subscribe too, and also we'd love you to leave a review. For now, stay indoors, stay safe, and we'll speak to you next week on Down the Divisions.